This is Downtown Lowdown with Downtown Halifax Business Commission. Welcome to Downtown Lowdown with Downtown Halifax Business Commission. This is where you can find out all you need or want to know about Downtown Halifax. I'm Ivy Ho, Director of Communications. And I'm Alana McDonald-Mills, Director of Marketing. We are your hosts for the Downtown Lowdown, and we'll be giving you the lowdown on what's new in businesses, events, developments, and issues that affect downtown. Yes, and we talk to key individuals that help to make downtown Halifax better. And this is Episode 5. We are now in November. The holidays are coming. I know. It's coming so quickly. I know. It doesn't seem like the holidays yet, but we got to prepare for it. We have events coming up. That's right. We have a couple events, uh, including the parade and some other things happening, so... Yeah, more on that later. Got to get your holiday spirit. Yeah. And we have an exciting episode. We interviewed uh, Eric Johnson from our Navigator Street Outreach Program, and we interviewed Donna Davis, the project manager for Cogswell Redevelopment with Halifax Regional Municipality. Uh, She will be filling us in on the upcoming changes to the Cogswell Interchange. We also have BizBuzz. Morgan Mullen, the arts and entertainment editor at the Coast Halifax Weekly, is back with her top five events for the weeks of November 5th to 18th. And we have some blatant propaganda regarding street closures and parking for the Chronicle Herald Parade of Lights. And finally, we have some shameless self-promotion about the Halifax Lights Festival and the 2019 Downtown Halifax Holiday Gift Guide. It's a jam-packed show. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. Let's get going. The Navigator Street Outreach Program is an initiative developed and supported by Downtown Halifax Business Commission and Spring Garden Area Business Association. Started in 2007, Navigator Street Outreach provides homeless and street-involved individuals with support to address barriers to securing and maintaining employment and housing, support to navigate services around health, mental health and addiction support, and partners with a variety of community agencies to ensure individuals receive the supports required to transition. We have Eric Johnson, Program Coordinator of Navigator Street Outreach, with us today. Eric, welcome to Downtown Lowdown. So Eric, can you tell us more about the Navigator Street Outreach and why it exists? Yeah, well, this program, I feel like it started in 2007, from what we understand, and um, originally it was it was the solution to the perceived problem of, of homelessness and people panhandling downtown and Spring Garden Road. And so they hired somebody, I can't remember who they initially hired. I think it was Tommy Bootlier yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, in that's, 2007. That's he files with his name on yeah, the computer, that's right. so it was a while ago now, but um, to work with folks who are panhandling and very visibly homeless on the downtown streets and try to help them out and I think talking to different people who've had this role in the past it was initially started out a lot more deal with the people who are visibly homeless and panhandling a lot and the ones that you see every day and try to you know find them a job or pay the money to sweep the streets or just stuff like that but then from what I gather when I read different things and talk to different people that was a lot harder to to figure out than than initially was thought so people would learn people are smart I guess and the the people who are panhandling would learn better ways to you know get off the streets they would get the money make the money and then just go back to panhandling and it wasn't very successful from what I understand yeah from my understanding is that um, panhandling is a really complex issue because it's not just about panhandling it could be has to do with like uh, mental illness or addiction or um, homelessness and some panhandlers aren't homeless that's my understanding can you talk a little bit more about that yeah yeah so so I guess um, poverty and and homelessness are much bigger issues than just what you see when you're walking down the street and so the position evolved into more of a 
holistic approach to dealing with the kind of issues that you see all the time, which is not just, you know, trying to just pay somebody to sweep the streets. If you see them being homeless, it's like, well, how do we go a bit upstream and address the root causes, somewhat the root causes, I think, there's bigger causes to homelessness and, and poverty than I can deal with, but, you know, help people find a place to live and help people find appropriate uh, health supports and employment supports and, and mental health supports and different resources that are there in, I guess, hence the navigator term of my, t navigator part of my job description of figuring out the best ways to help these people using the existing resources so that maybe they don't go on to the streets to pan out or also maybe if they do it they they're well supported and they they have everything that they need to so that maybe they don't need to panhandle as much and and also that we don't have to have people sleeping on the in alcoves and alleyways and stuff like that because i'm constantly have this presence on the street and we can go and find people and if they are sleeping outside we can find them a place to live hopefully if that's what they want or find employment support or whatever it is that they want and just work with them, develop those relationships and hopefully address address the problems that we see from a much broader perspective rather than just a really narrow kind of uh, intrusion into people's lives. And you, you talk about supporting the clients. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and your training in terms of how, how you can support the clients on the street? Yeah, I've worked in different different jobs and different organizations for the last uh, eight or nine years in Halifax, whether that's working in homeless shelters or working in places trying to find people, uh, houses and place to live. And you are a social worker. And I am a social worker by um, trade, um, which is recent. I was I went back to school after working in shelters for a few years to get my social work degree because it was thought it would be useful. But now I am a social worker who works um, with this population and yeah, it's one of those things that I often say it would be more useful to be uh, a real estate agent sometimes because housing is the main thing I work with and they don't teach a lot of housing in social work school, but it's a lot of managing people's expectations, trying to convince landlords to give folks with no with really terrible credit or no rental history, give them a chance to rent an apartment um, and that kind of stuff, which is a huge part of my job working with anybody who is homeless is finding them places to live and it's uh yeah thankfully i do have a bit of background in housing support and in working with homeless folks that helps me a bit but it's it's it is a big challenge you work with the the homeless and well the street involved population uh you also work with some of the businesses too and trying to educate them on what you do is that correct can you talk a little bit about that well because business owners are a huge they they run that they're the reason we have this organization of the Downtown Business Commission and the Spring Gardens. Because I, I bet a lot of people out there listening are thinking, why are we employing a social worker on the street? You know, why is it our job to do that? So maybe you can address that. Yeah, well, because I talk to a fair amount of business owners, especially ones that have storefronts right on the street, and they will often tell me the things that are going on because they have more eyes on the street than I do because they're always... Um, watching what's going on. They know a lot of the folks that panhandle are the folks that are sleeping outside, and so it's good to have more people kind of keeping an eye on things. And then if there's somebody new to the city or something like that that they haven't seen them before, then it gives me a chance to work with that person, hopefully, especially the, the newer folks that aren't so um, established, I guess, on the street. The the newer ones that sometimes the business owners will point them out, like, hey, this guy's new to the town. What can we, what can we do to kind of facilitate them getting back on their feet or them getting the supports that they need to either, you know, if they, if they want to move on somewhere else or if they want to get a place to live or if they have some health issues or anything like that, like that is, I think, where I can do the most, where I can be the most useful because 
those people are new to the city often and they're transient somewhat and it's a lot easier so business owners I think I think they want to have me around for I, I hope they want to have me around so that we can lessen the impact of, of all these people who are who are needing help but don't know where to go and instead of just you know sitting on the side of the road maybe we can get them what they need and get them a place to live or show them where the soup kitchens are all these different things that that um, I think it, it's really good having that relationship with the businesses for. Can you take us uh, through a typical day of the Navigator? Like, what would you do on, you know, from day to day? Or is there actually a typical day of the, for the Navigator? No, there's no typical day. I don't know. Um, the, one of the best things about this or this position is it's so I have such a broad mandate. It's mostly see the people and then work with the people that that I find on my day my daily travels around the city, um, and and just work with them to kind of accomplish their goals so like I said often that's housing and, and homelessness or often that's housing sometimes it's health sometimes it's employment whatever they kind of want to work on is what I'm there for um, so so I guess a typical day usually starts out I, I try to schedule things early in the morning that I can schedule so whether that's taking somebody to an appointment or you know, getting identification or something like that because there's not a lot of people out earlier like 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock in the morning so it's, it's easier for me to schedule meetings then with people and, and get them to, you know, the doctors to do blood work or whatever it is to get them. Um, and then later on in the morning, I try to do some, get out of the office, get out of my car and walk around a bit and see if there's anything new, talk to as many people as I can, just doing my, like, walkabouts of, like, the downtown core, which is sometimes in the afternoon, sometimes in the morning. It depends. You get different people, different times of day. Sometimes it's in the early evening when there's a totally different crowd, which I learned. Um, but, yeah, I do try to spend some time walking around talking to new folks and just keeping an eye and an ear out for what's going on and then a lot of times in the afternoons it's I'm doing more and more housing support I guess which is I, I like to see it as like the prevention side of things with just dealing with landlords that I've built relationships with and trying to help them ideally not evict people that have placed there that have been that were formerly homeless that we put in these places because that's you know nobody wants to see somebody back living in the in the commons or back living in Victoria Park because it's just it's, it's you put a lot of work into getting somebody housed and then if they if something goes wrong whether their rent doesn't get paid or whether they're making a mess or having a party or something like that then I, I try to spend some time I don't know helping out as much as I can which is often the most varied part of my day sometimes it's helping somebody clean up their apartment because they're too messy and the landlord complains about it or sometimes it's you know making sure that somebody's getting their their appropriate medication and, and making sure they're taking that and they're going to their doctor's appointments and stuff like that because you know if they miss if they miss certain medical appointments they can really kind of go downhill fast and so I just like to keep on top of that so that's also a big part of my day is just doing the random stuff that you have to do to support people in their housing so they don't go back to being homeless and then I also spend a good chunk of the time trying to find and, and just sucking up to landlords because <laughs> the landlords it, it's housing is such a crisis right now that um, you, you need to be always on the lookout for places that might be open to renting to people on income assistance or people that have maybe some mental health or some addiction places because everyone needs a place to live and uh, unfortunately there's not enough social housing or, or non-market housing available so a lot of the time it's just seeing interacting with different private landlords and trying to figure out the best way that we can all work together to get as many people off the streets as we can you talk about uh, 
dealing with or working with landlords uh, on the housing issue. Uh, do you work with other agencies and or nonprofit organizations uh, and partners uh, with this program? Yeah, the, I don't think this program could exist without all the different um, partners that we have, whether it's you know the different business associations. Like I, I work really closely with the North End uh, Navigator through the North End Business Association, but also you know I'm always at Spring Garden Business Association talking to, to them. They're not really a partner; they're like a employer, <laughs> one of my bosses. Right. Um, but then also, yeah, all the other nonprofit agencies, whether that's you know the mobile, the Mosh team, the Mobile Outreach Street Health, and those nurses who are really almost every day I'm, I'm on the phone with them, or um, the nonprofit. Some there are nonprofit uh, housing providers that are really helpful and they're really good at just giving people a chance. And so I, I try to work with them as much as I can. And kind of the same thing as, as a typical landlord, they have trouble with some of the folks that I've, I've um, placed in their housing units, then I'll just try to deal with any situations that come up with them. Um, but there's, you know, I could talk list dozens of different organizations that I work with, whether it's the other shelters. Um, I work with them a lot because uh, we often, you know, I am geographically focused on the downtown kind of core, but a lot of people will be staying in a shelter in the north end and then come down to Pan during the day, or they might be... Um, they might just be hanging out at the library, and that's why I'll see them all the time because a lot of people are at the library too. So, yeah, I, I all pretty much any organization I've, I talk to on a somewhat regular basis. Uh, a lot of your clients are, you know, they're in difficult situations, and I know it's challenging. You know, it's a it can be a challenging job. But can you talk about some of the biggest challenges that you that you have to come up against uh, working in this area? Well, I could I always say housing affordability because I think that is a a crisis, and it's just getting worse and worse um, for everybody, not mm -hmm. just people experiencing homelessness. But that seems to be a common theme everywhere yeah. when you listen to the news. Yeah, yeah, but it's lot. just getting worse. Yeah, the lack of affordable housing in the mm -hmm. city, and it, as you said, it's not getting any better. And there are some some mechanisms that are in place that aren't helping. And I'm not going to get into the details of that because, but uh, that's a whole other podcast, I'm sure. But what would be the ideal situation uh, in from the point of view of the navigator in terms of uh, affordable housing? Well, I think the ideal situation would just be have enough housing to give people choice. So right now there's not even any, there's no choice to give people. It's like if you're lucky enough, you might qualify for this one affordable housing unit or you might have to pay like a hundred extra bucks more than you can afford every month for like a one bedroom apartment in an area that you don't know. And I really wish there was some way we could provide more housing for people because people, like I said earlier, my half my job is just being the real estate agent, like either trying to convince landlords to give a chance to give people who are experiencing homelessness a chance, but also giving people who are used to living in you know Fairview or one neighborhood for most of their lives. Now they can't afford to live in that neighborhood. So let's try a different neighborhood, maybe, and go farther away from the services and farther away from the people you know and farther away from you know me and my program. But like at least it's a roof over your head. It'd be so much. And that, that's when we're lucky. Oftentimes, that people don't even have that option of a place that's far away. A lot of times, it's like just sit on the waiting list until something comes up. So I wish, I wish just there was more affordable housing. But I wish people also had that choice of where, living where they where they'd like to live or living where it was a good spot for them. So, what are the best parts of your job? What are your favorite things that um, make you come to work every day? Working with you guys. Get out of town. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. <laughs> It is, you know, the, 
the Business Commission downtown and Spring Garden Business Associations are really good places to work, you know, not just to suck up, but I think Paul and Sue are really good. Um, and that would be Sue Utech. Sue Utech, sorry. And Paul McKinnon, the, the executive directors of the Business yeah, Improvement District. Because they both, I think they, it's a professional workplace, so they just trust me to do my job, as I assume they trust everybody to do their jobs. And there's not a lot of, you know, breathing down your neck, making sure you're working with the right people and these kind of things. So that is definitely huge. The one thing I really enjoy about working here, but mostly it's just the varied aspects of my day. Um, and it's never, it, it also seems cliche to say it's never the same day twice, but like, there's no typical know, day. Yeah, like there is really said. no typical day. This morning was, I don't know, I was, I was talking to some people in a really terrible rooming house in the North End and trying to give them some food because they're, you know, they've got no money after paying their rent and and that kind of stuff and so helping people out with their food but then also after that talking to some landlords to hopefully set up some new affordable housing somewhat affordable housing kind of uh, rooming houses in, in different neighborhoods because that's what we need right now I think and then a couple different meetings with different folks and, and talking to other partner agencies and then now I'm just after I'm done this podcast I'm going to go and go my walk around in the afternoon and just see what's going on in the street because I haven't actually had any time to walk around today but then I can just go you know it's a nice day so I get to spend half an hour walking up and down and talking to the, the folks who are on the street who keep an eye on things and will tell me who I should go talk to or who I should go where I should go look for somebody that's camping out and it just you can never really predict it like I say it'll take me half an hour but there's a good chance it'll take me two hours because I'll run into somebody who needs something and then I'll meet somebody who I haven't seen in a while and I want to make sure that he's doing okay and then I might go check in on somebody in one of their places and all of a sudden it's you know 5 30 and I go <laughs> this has been quite the day <laughs> so yeah that is probably the best thing about it. it is so varied and um there's never yeah there's really no no two days are ever the same so if you had one message to get out there to the public about the navigator street Out- outreach program what would it be I would say that I'm I'm lucky because I get to talk to these people all the time and not, not just you know not just people experiencing homelessness and people who are panhandling because they that's what I encourage anybody to do is like if you want to ask me about what to do with my you know what to do about people who are on the streets I would just say ask those people talk to the people give them five minutes of your time and, and I get to do that for a living I get to spend all the day talking to people but also talking to the business owners and, and talking to the people who I think they have a good heart and they care about people but they're unfamiliar or they don't exactly know what to what to do when when problems come up and so just talking to business owners is, is good for me too because it's a perspective I've never really had before working in nonprofits. Um, and so just talking and seeing like yes you do have a valid concern like if these things are if this is what's happening to people are you know in front of your store or whatever it is like that's a valid concern like how can we sort this out so yeah I guess just talk to people and is the best thing that's great advice well, thank you, Eric, for your time. Really appreciate it. I know it's taking time away from uh, your clients and uh, helping the street-involved population. So thanks again for your time. Uh, no problem. My pleasure. And that was Eric Johnson, Program Coordinator of the Navigator Street Outreach Program. You can learn more about the Navigator Street Outreach Program at navigatorstreetoutreach.ca. And now for BizBuzz. So now we have BizBuzz, and Elena and I are on our own today. We yeah. don't have Ethan, but he'll be back in the next episode. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Elena, you have a, a couple yeah. of announcements here? A couple big announcements. Uh, a 
huge congratulations goes out to Dirty Nelly's Irish Pub. They brought home the Irish Hospitality Global Award for Best Food Experience in the Americas. The awards were held in Dublin, Ireland in October, uh, and they recognized the best of Irish pubs around the world. So that's exciting. Yeah. yeah. Congrats to Dirty Nellies. Staying with the awards theme, Crombie's Cogswell Tower was awarded the 2019 Carbon Crusader Award by Ecopilot Canada. By using the artificial intelligence technology Ecopilot, the tower's carbon emissions were drastically reduced, which is great. I don't really know a lot about that program, but I'll have to uh, look it up and... Sounds good. Yeah. So we have a couple of anniversaries as well. Scotia Square recently had a big birthday, and uh, they celebrated 50 years. So that was on October 15th. They held a special celebration in their food court. They gave away 1,000 cupcakes, and they were delicious. I didn't eat all of them. Uh, And they reduced their parking rates uh, to $2 that day. So that was the 1969 rate. Yeah. So maybe we can convince them to keep it at $2. Probably not. No, probably not. It would be awesome. Uh, but happy birthday to Scotia Square. And happy birthday to the Split Crow Pub. It turned 40 years old on October 20th, and they held a party to celebrate. Uh, the Split Crow is a longtime downtown Halifax favorite as a place to go for food, drinks, and live entertainment year-round. Yeah, and the Split Crow is, uh, is a fun pub. Did you used to go there? No, I think it, no, but I have. It's really nice. <laughs> but it wasn't my university days. Okay. Yeah. As for some other updates, um, a couple of downtown businesses have moved to new locations. So Kisser Up International Trade Routes, Inc. moved to 5112 Prince Street, 3rd Floor East. Kisser Up is a global consultancy firm focused on the development and sustainability of businesses around the world. We have another move in downtown Halifax. Uh, Metcalf and Company Barristers and Solicitors moved from Hollis Street to 5121 Sackville Street. Metcalf and Company is a law firm that represents clients in the marine, transportation, and related industries. So happy move for them. Yeah. Lots of things going on. Yeah. So things are moving around. Um, This time around, we didn't uh, report on any new businesses, but we had a a really good variety of uh, milestones and anniversaries and moves in downtown Halifax. And awards. Exciting. And uh, next episode, Ethan will be back to report on uh, new businesses. The Coast Top 5 Events. And now it's time for The Coast Top 5 Events with Morgan Mullen, the Art and Entertainment's Editor at The Coast, Halifax's Weekly. How's it going, Morgan? It's going great. How are you? Welcome back. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I have five things that I am excited about. I will start, I guess, by talking about uh, Daniel Caesar is coming to the Scotiabank Centre on November 14th, which I think is going to be really fun. Mm -hmm. I think he's super exciting because he's kind of part of the group of uh, R&B artists who are kind of taking the genre in a new direction, but also um, he's worked with some of my like favorite more like throwback people like he just did a song with brandy that's really really great and oh, really? i enjoy a lot so i think that's gonna be fun the second time he's been here in halifax yes he was here for jazz fest that's uh, right last, last summer, summer i think yes, and he yeah. was really great although i will be honest um when he was up on stage and he had his jewel at first i was like what is that is that a, a small recorder what's going on and then i realized he was vaping and i was like i feel, oh. I feel, <laughs> I feel elderly but anyway <laughs> he was really fun and like uh, yeah i find he has like a really great stage presence so i think that's going to be good time and I'm excited to see him again. Another thing on our list, of course, November 8th, uh, we're going to be having the Coast's Best of Halifax Reader's Choice Awards Ball. So basically every year, I'm sure you guys know and hopefully you both voted. It's um, very cool. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it's a good time. Exactly. So um, that Thursday, the uh, issue comes out releasing who Halifax voted for for Best 
I know some of the categories are like best hairstylist. I think there's best coffee. There's all kinds of different things. And um, of, of course, all the winners will be from downtown Halifax. I mean, right? Really? Right? Yeah. right? <laughs> of course. I can, I can say that because I don't have access to the master list. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and so it's like kind of just a great way to see a lot of the people who work really hard to make Halifax interesting and all the cool stuff they do. And also, it's usually a very fun party. So you will probably fun. see me like either doing coat check or I sometimes scan people's entrance tickets. So, although I don't know, coat check requires a surprising amount of organization. So I might not oh, take yeah, that test this year. You can't, yeah. lose, you can't lose people's coats. It's yeah. true. It's true. Very it's patient. Yeah. Patient dealing with people at the end of the night. That is oh, also yeah. a, that is true. also a good point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Another thing on my list that I think looks exciting. Uh, there's a play that's called Tiny uh, that Zuppa Theater is going to be putting on at, at Scotia Square um, in the former NSLC location on the main level, which I believe is near the food court. And the play is supposed to be an exploration of the everyday lives of superheroes in an alternative version of the 20th century. A group of extraordinary individuals try to live ordinary lives and all alter the course of history in the process. Part theater performance, part immersive installation, and part museum exhibition, Tiny imagines a world where being different is a cause for celebration and wonder, suspicion and anger, fear and denial, and finally, hope and new beginnings. So I think that sounds cool, and I love me, uh, I love, I love me plays in general, but I also think it's really fun when theater happens uh, in atypical spaces. So I think it's going to be a good time. And Zupa? Yeah. Zupa, yeah. Zupa. They are really exciting. They do a lot of innovative uh, theater shows. Mm-hmm. So Definitely. They'll be, I think that would be really good to see. Yeah, that. and Downtown yeah. Halifax Business Commission has partnered with them before. Yes, uh, oh, cool. One of their plays that actually explored all of Downtown Halifax. So it was a kind Ooh, of a moving kind yes, of play. Yes, that was last year, last I think it was a couple fall. years ago, yeah. something like that. Is that yeah. the one where you had to like listen to the thing and it guided you? Yeah, I think so, yeah. I really wanted yeah. to go to that because it was really interesting. It's, I think it sold yeah. out immediately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it definitely was like a like you refresh the browser yeah. and it was yeah. done kind yeah. of situation. Yeah. But yeah. It's been around for a long time, so they, they have a really great reputation. So exactly. Mm-hmm. Not surprised People know it's that it's sold out right away. Yeah, totally. <laughs> cool. What else do I have on my list? Ooh, okay. So uh, the Great Big Dig fundraiser, which is happening at the Canard Center on November 9th, has a bunch of people playing. Uh, in particular, I'm very excited to see Mo Kenny and Kim Harris and their sets that they will have. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I, I love them both. I think they're both super cool. Yeah. So. And <laughs> what, is the, what is that? Honestly, I, I don't know a ton about the fundraiser. I just okay. know that it's a great excuse to see two really great yeah, really people good who don't always female artists. Yeah, yeah, you know. I mean, they play a lot but could never play enough to satisfy like how much I would like to see them. So. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and last on my list is Old Stock is coming to Neptune Theater. Um, the start date is October 30th, but it's going to be running until November 17th. Um, basically, that's I think the full title is Old Stock, A Refugee Love Story. And basically, it stars Ben Kaplan, and uh, it's been touring a lot very extensively throughout North America for a couple of years. Um, and there was they, they did a bit of a run in New York that was uh, reviewed really positively by some big deal New York theater critics and now it's coming back home after some after like a few hundred performances to show like a really I think it's going to be interesting to like see how going on the Sarge tour has kind of like changed the production and things like that and like kind of the the really positive results. To be theater? It was yes. Okay yes because I I knew that Hannah Moscovich wrote it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Who is like amazing. Everything she does is amazing. (laughs) Our kids go to preschool together. Oh that's so cool. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well hi Hannah. Yeah you're super cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I just think it's like uh, a really interesting way to take on something super topical like yeah. in the news right now through art, which is what all the best art does. So yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I have a few other things to talk about too uh, that are going on the weeks of November fifth to eighteenth. Mm-hmm. Symphony Nova Scotia.
Scotia is hosting their family series called Symphony Got Style at the Canadian Museum of Immigration at Pier 21 on November 10th. They have two shows that day, one at 1.30 and one at 3 o'clock, um, and each of the shows is an hour long. So the neat thing about this event is that children on the autism spectrum and their parents are welcomed. The oh, shows are participatory, yeah. relaxed, they're informal. They encourage mm-hmm. children to be active and involved in the performances, um, and vocalizations, movements, and taking breaks are part of the fun. Uh, so it's a really fun afternoon for families to attend. So it mm-hmm. is free. Uh, but seating is first come, first served, so they recommend that you register. So you can do this by going to symphonynovascotia.ca and searching Family Series, or you can go to our website and look for the events under downtownhalifax.ca slash events. That sounds really cool, too. Yeah. It's like just a kind of, um, if it's a family who's never been to the symphony before, yes, that's like exactly. such a nice, casual, approachable way. Cause it's a good introduction. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they let them touch the instruments, and they explore different styles of, of music, like oh, jazz so and cool. rock and Martin. Oh, my and, God. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Really yeah. fun afternoon. Um, and we're getting into the holidays, which we've mm-hmm. already mentioned. The Craft Nova Scotia Designer Craft Christmas Show mm. is on the weekend of November 15th to 17th at the Canard Center. It runs Friday from 10 a.m. to 9 p.m., Saturday from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., and Sunday from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. So you can find original, interesting, fine crafts by Nova Scotian and Atlantic Canadian artisans. And there's also demonstrations by some of the exhibitors. So there is an admission. It's $7 for adults. $6 for students and seniors, uh, but you can also get weekend passes, and children under 12 are free. So that would be fun if you're looking for some unique gifts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and local gifts. Yeah, for the holidays. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Get that started sooner. Don't be like me and start on December 15th to buy oh. all your gifts for people. Oh, that's me too. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me feel a little bit better, Ivy, because every year I'm like, it's going to be the year that I have my act together. And so. I say that every year as well. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you'll, there'll be tons of like unique, interesting things at that for sure. So the Chronicle Herald Holiday Parade of Lights is on Saturday, November 16th. The parade starts at 6 p.m. And we will have some carolers and hot chocolate at our office at 1546 Barrington Street before the parade from 4.30 to 6 p.m. I think that sounds like very <laughs> adorable and idyllic, just by the way. You yes. have like a hot yeah. drink too. I know, while you're waiting by. for the parade I, I to start. Yeah. And we're going to have some surprise giveaways too. That's right. We have some giveaways happening mm-hmm. um, for the children and adults mm-hmm. for everybody to have. Children um, of all ages. Yeah, children of <laughs> all ages. So if you're coming down to the parade, you can stop by our office. Again, it's 1546 Barrington Street. Get some hot chocolate, which is going to be from Russo's. Oh, so it's going to be the good stuff. Oh, yeah. The good stuff. Yes. We don't mess around at all (laughs) during the holidays. No. (laughs) Hot chocolate game. Um, And we'll have carolers on our doorsteps, so... Hopefully, people will be in the mood and uh, mm-hmm. be excited for the parade. And we will have more about the parade and street closures in the blatant propaganda segment of the show. And I think we'd be remiss not to mention Halifax Taco Week. I'm very excited about Taco Week. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be great. Yes. And um, that goes from November 14th to 20th. Yeah, exactly. Our website has recently gone uh, live as well. It's going to be updated um, kind of similar in fashion to the Burger Week website as the participatory restaurants um, finalize what their taco creations are going to be. Mm-hmm. I think it's fun because you can do, like, almost anything with a taco when you think about yes. it. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. Do you say taco or taco? Taco? Taco. Is this a thing? <laughs> I didn't know this was a thing. I didn't either. <laughs> oh, you're freaking me out. <laughs> <laughs> My taco, gut, it wasn't it? <laughs> 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 
Um, I'm excited either way. I really yeah. like tacos. Me yes. too. And I think like I like them better tacos. than burgers. So I'm excited. I feel mm-hmm. like you can eat more of yeah. them. You can definitely yeah. eat more of them yeah. than burgers. Try more. I feel, yeah. Yeah. I feel yeah, yeah. confident about that. And I, yeah. it feels healthy, too. Okay. Yeah. A little healthier. <laughs> yeah. on what's in it, yeah. I guess. Yeah. But, yeah, it could be healthy. Mm-hmm. And I have just one more thing. I know I'm throwing a couple of other things in here. But Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone in concert is okay. at the Scotiabank Center. My best friend is so excited about this. She has already emailed me twice. We need to go. Yes. Yeah, so that's on November 15th, which is a Friday. It starts at 7.30, and I think it's just two hours until mm-hmm. 9.30. So I think they play the film, and then they have the symphony play oh, the music of the film. two hours of your life while you watch everything in the magical wizarding world happen. Yes. Wow. Soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. how this works. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I wasn't sure either, but I think it sounds really interesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, my daughter's actually just reading the first book right now, <gasps> so yeah, we may have to go check it out. Which, which house do you guys think you would be in? Which oh, I already know. I've done the test. I'm definitely Hufflepuff. <laughs> I am also a Hufflepuff. Yes. We are That's a family great. of Hufflepuffs. Yay. I love it. That's really nice. You would definitely be Slytherin. Oh. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Maybe Ravenclaw? I don't know. I really don't know the difference. I would <laughs> say I would say Ravenclaw with like a Slytherin rising would be my, would be my description. Oh, there you yeah. go. Yeah, I'll take that as a compliment. It is a compliment. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I do like you Alan Rickman. Is that, is that was Alan Rickman? That his character? He was Slytherin. Yes. 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 Okay, I'm, I'm yeah. down with that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like it's that. kind of sad now. He's he's passed away. Now. Oh yeah, True. he passed away like a year ago. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Know, it was very sad. End of an era. Oh. Anyway, on that note. That's our events. Yeah. Great. Exciting. Thank you for coming out. Thanks so much for having me. So if you're looking for more information on events in downtown Halifax, you can go to thecoast.ca or you can check out our website at downtownhalifax.ca slash events. Next up, pros on cons. Did you know that the Causal Interchange will soon be coming down? The Causal Interchange will become a new neighborhood, the Causal District, According to the HRM website, the redevelopment is one of the biggest city-building projects in the history of Halifax. The new neighborhood is designed to connect downtown Halifax with the North End and Waterfront, creating a stronger, more inclusive network of communities. The approved design plan addresses public realm elements, including accessibility, public art and commemorative features, parks and open spaces, multi-use paths, streetscapes, and a transit hub for the new neighborhood. Donna Davis is the project manager, Cogswell Redevelopment, with the Halifax Regional Municipality. She's here today to talk about everything Cogswell. So Donna, welcome. Yeah, long time no see. Yeah, it has been a while. So can you take us back to the beginning and give us some of the history of Cogswell and how we came to this point? Sure. The current interchange was completed in 1972 as part of a plan to build a circular expressway around the peninsula of Halifax, and that was really a means to make it easier for people from the suburbs to get into downtown. However, construction of the expressway was stopped um, to save what we know today as historic properties, fortunately, Mm -hmm. but that didn't occur um, before the interchange was actually completed. So for the last 50 years, we've been left with this overbuilt and underutilized piece of road infrastructure located on prime land just north of our downtown. Now, there's been a lot of talk and debate over the years about what to do about the interchange, which handles about 40 to 50,000 vehicles per day. But serious talk and planning really commenced about seven years ago, and it started with the engagement of Acoustics, a local uh, planning and design firm, to develop a comprehensive plan for the lands. And the final plan, which is now known as the Cogswell Lands Plan, was informed by a broad public engagement initiative called the Cogswell Shakeup. 
and that helped to narrow the approaches to the redevelopment of, of the lands from three options down to one. The Cogswell Land Plan was adopted by Regional Council in May of 2014 as the official conceptual plan uh, for redevelopment of the site. And then staff were directed to establish a project office, uh, engage consultants to complete the detailed design, and then move to tender to have the uh, interchange removed. So in 2015, a project office was established, and in 2016, WSP, a large international planning and design firm, uh, was engaged to complete the, the detailed design. So can you tell us about the design process and the main, some of the main features, you know, what's new with the design? Sure. Yeah, I'd love to. Now, the detailed design process has taken over three years, and it has included extensive stakeholder engagement, which has been really important. And the last round of engagement was really held about a year or so ago now, and it significantly helped us with the details of the design, especially around the public elements of the design, the parks, the streetscapes, and, and the rest of the public realm. So with the aid of a local architectural firm, FBM, a comprehensive engagement program was undertaken and we actually achieved over 1,500 interactions across the municipality, which was really exciting. The process generated over 98 recommendations on what we should do with the public realm and I'm pleased to say that approximately 80% or more of those have been included in this final design. Now, another significant source of input into the 90% design is what we call the GEL Initiative, and that's where the Cogswell team with WSP, along with yourselves... Yes, with Downtown Halifax Business Commission, we were involved with that. Absolutely, it was great, and Development Nova Scotia and 13 other major stakeholders worked with GEL, an external design firm, on a critical review of the approved 60% concept, and so many of those suggestions through that process were also incorporated into the design. So now I'll talk about the highlights, which really Mm -hmm. excite me. So overall, the objective is really to take the interchange lands uh, and convert it to a mixed-use neighborhood, which is both walkable and transit-oriented, and most importantly, reconnects the northern part of the city to the downtown and the waterfront, like it used to be 50 years ago. Now, new streets will be constructed at grade, so we're really reinstating the the grid street network like it existed uh, 50 years ago. And for somebody who's not familiar with the urban planning uh, lingo lingo (laughs) at grade, can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, so right now the interchange consists of, uh, you know, major retaining walls, overpasses, flyovers, that kind of thing. We're going to take all of those structures out of there and basically put the roads at grade level, so they're going to intersect at right angles, just like you see uh, with all of the streets in the in the downtown right. area now. Okay. We're going to realign all the underground infrastructure, and there's a lot in the area. New active transportation features will include a bi-directional protected bikeway set in two linear greenways uh, that run uh, north and south and east and west, and they actually will connect to um, active transportation um, components north and south of the uh, the project area. And a multi-use path will uh, be located along the western perimeter of the site, and that will be used jointly by pedestrians and cyclists and any wheeled accessibility vehicles as well. Now, I'm really excited about the parks. So there's two major parks and two small parkettes. The two major parks flank the north and the south ends, and one is uh, about one and a half acres in the north, uh, adjacent to our wastewater treatment plant. And it's being designed as a large community garden. So there's going to be market bids, individual bids, raised accessible bids, and a small shelter there. And Um, these ideas came from the public. They came from the public, exactly, through through the two initiatives I spoke about, the GEL initiative and then the public engagement process over a year ago. Now, Granville Park uh, will be located in the south of the site, and it's about one acre in size. And it, in my opinion, will be the crown jewel of downtown. 
It's going to be designed as an urban square. It will have a great lawn area and a small performance bandstand. Uh, hard surface promenades will provide connection between Barrington Street, the transit hub there, to the waterfront and to historic Granville Mall. And there's going to be lots of casual seating, cafe tables, an interactive fountain, ambience lighting. And the center of the site is demarcated with a raised planter which outlines one of the historic buildings. In fact, it was one of the first buildings, the Pentagon building, to be removed to allow for the construction of the uh, interchange. Mm-hmm. So we're recognizing the history associated with that. And the historic street names will be located on that planter, so you'll be able to orientate yourself. And I mentioned there's two minor parkettes. Uh, they're located at the midpoint of the development, and they're each about a half acre in size. Overlook Parkette connects the multi-use path to Barrington Street and the, to the Casino Parkette, which is located on the uh, edge of the harbor, adjacent to one of the bikeways. Now, Overlook is characterized by a significant central accessible pathway with lots of landscaping and little seating rooms as you progress in a zigzag fashion up the hill to the multi-use path. And landing plazas at both the top and bottom of the site uh, will provide great seating areas. And the landscaping in the parkette um, has been broadened to extend across the street to the area along the greenway and right into Casino Parkette. So they're really two integrated parks. And uh, the Casino Parkette provides a great resting space and viewing point on the water's edge looking out to the working waterfront adjacent to D&D. The benches uh, are designed uh, in the park as basically they're designed on the basis of the finger pier wharves that used to line the harbor. So there's a historic reference back to that design. And we also think this is going to be a pretty great picnic spot uh, as well. It sounds fantastic so far. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, exactly. So throughout the development, we've really focused on trying to create pedestrian-friendly streetscapes. So the sidewalks are wide. They're much wider than uh, typically what you see in the downtown. In some cases, they're three to four meters wide, which is awesome. And then we put planters along the edges, lots of street trees, lots of seating, lots of bike racks as well. And then uh, another major component is, of course, our, our transit hub. So the area between Duke and Upper Water Street will be uh, redesigned and reimagined. Uh, great new shelters, lots of lighting, seating, landscaping, trees, and the curbside transit-only lanes uh, will give buses priority in this area. And we'll also have clearly delineated uh, bus stop clusters in, in the transit hub. There's lots of opportunities for art and commemoration throughout the project, and we're currently still working on some of those ideas, um, but those, those will come in the coming months. And last but not least, um, there will be over seven development blocks that will be created uh, through this project, and five of those are owned by the municipality, and over time they will be released for development of residential and mixed commercial uh, uses. We anticipated about 2,500 people will be living in this this new neighborhood. So you mentioned commemorative uh, elements to the parks. And so I guess the the populations that would be involved with that would be the indigenous community and uh, former residents of Africville. Absolutely. Absolutely. We have engaged with both of those communities, and they are really excited and see this as a fabulous place to basically tell their stories. Uh, so we're pretty excited about that too, right? and again, we'll be working through more details with those communities uh, in the coming months. Great, wonderful to hear. Yeah. So this sounds great. You know, the the plan sounds beautiful. Can't wait for the final product. But let's get down to the nitty gritty now. <laughs> demolition. So can you walk us through some of the stages of demolition and how long it will take? Sure, sure. So we're estimating um, about three to. 
three and a half to four years to basically complete removal of the existing highway infrastructure, relocate all of that underground infrastructure I spoke about, complete the parks, the streetscapes, as well as create the building blocks so that they can be released to the market. So about three and a half to four years. Our current plan is to do the construction in three major phases. Each will be about a year to a year and a half in duration, and we're hoping to be starting that in the spring of 2020. Uh, we plan to start work in the south of the end of the project and work our way north, removing key pieces of the existing infrastructure and then replacing it with the new plan. Now, not all of the existing infrastructure will be removed in one wave of activity. Some have been hoping for a kind of an implosion of sorts, but that's not going to happen here. The plan is very logically and selectively going to remove what's there now and replace it. And as each section is completed, the new streets and parks will be open for use. So we are hoping to have Granville Park completed as an early deliverable in the first year and a half. That's almost overwhelming. <laughs> <It is. laughs> but yeah, it's a huge project for the city and for yeah. downtown Halifax and for the North End as well. So it's it's great to see that you know something like this will connect all the communities together and almost and be a, a, an actual community, and be a gathering a, place, yeah, a community in itself, yeah. like a destination, gathering place, exactly. Right. Rather than just you know, let's drive through it. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And Granville Mall is so underutilized right now, so it would be nice to see it become a focal point of downtown. Halifax. Exactly. Yeah, we really think that that with this development and with the development of Granville Park, that the revitalization of what we know today is Granville Mall. We'll really certainly see that and bring it back to life again. Mm -hmm. So what would the public need to know about this project? Sure. So I think during construction, there's a number of key things. Uh, the first is traffic routes will be maintained through the site during all phases of construction. Um, so this includes cars, buses, trucks. And we're currently looking at pedestrian and cycling routes and how these will be handled during construction. Now, construction in the area will be disruptive. Traffic will not move through this area as quickly as it does today. So I think that's important to know. A transportation demand management plan is being developed, which is, is will look at alternatives and options for people to deal with the disruption, uh, which is going to occur. And we expect the plan to look at alternate means of getting into the downtown, maybe walking, cycling, transit, use of the ferries, options for avoiding the worst times, peak periods uh, uh, in the morning and afternoons, and possibly options to work from home. So we're hoping to minimize the number of route changes by focusing on three major phases of construction. So there will not be a lot of daily changes to commuting patterns through the area. So I think that's important for the, for the public to know. And of course, there will be lots of communication about the project, um, the construction, what's going on, any changes that might occur. For example, there might be a need to close a certain section of the project on a weekend to allow for removal of part of an overpass or retaining wall. So we do expect those things to happen, but there'll be lots of advance warning about that. So it's going to be disruptive. However, it's also going to be very exciting and transformative. It is the largest city building project to be undertaken by the municipality, and it's certainly going to be amazing when it's finished. Mm -hmm. And Downtown Halifax Business Commission will be working very closely with HRM to talk about, you know, transportation needs and and the disruption and what people would need to know. So we'll help convey those messages out to the public and to our members, the downtown businesses. Yeah, exactly. We have a great working relationship with, with the commission, and we see that continuing and, and helping us out in the future. That will be excellent, Ivy. Thanks. So Cogswell Interchange is 50 years old. So with the redevelopment, what do you see as... Cogswell District's legacy. What will people say about it in 50 years from now? Right, right. Well, I think the greatest legacy will be the fact that it reconnects uh, the north end of the city to the downtown and to the waterfront the way it was 50 years ago before the interchange was, was built. The neighborhoods to the north and west of downtown were severed from downtown and the waterfront by what was constructed. 
and certainly it's very unpleasant today, if not nearly impossible, to walk between those neighborhoods. So all of that's going to change, which is really exciting. And people are going to be able to walk, drive, bike easily between these areas when the Cogswell neighborhood is built. I think people will say it's a great new neighborhood. Um, hopefully they're going to say it's a wonderful place to live, work, shop, spend time. And I think people will say it's very green. There's lots of open space here, and there's lots of interesting uh, streetscapes to walk along and places to spend time. I think they're going to talk about Granville Square being an amazing new public space, the centerpiece really for the downtown, uh, where people will gather for fun and a relaxing time. And I, I think it's going to be the new hub of downtown myself. Mm -hmm. And lastly, they'll say, thank goodness the construction's over after four years, but certainly it's been worth it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. We're really looking forward to, mm -hmm. of course, the final product, but yeah, we're, we'll have a lot of stages in between yes. from now until then. But exactly. yeah, so we'll be definitely keeping in touch with you. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Love to talk about it anytime. Great. Thank you so much, Donna. Donna Davis is the project manager, Cogswell Redevelopment with the Halifax Regional Municipality. For more information about the Cogswell District Redevelopment, you can visit downtownhalifax.ca slash podcast, and we will have links to the design plan, project updates, and more. Get ready for some blatant propaganda. Today on Blatant Propaganda, we are talking about the Chronicle Herald Parade of Lights. Yes, the Chronicle Herald Parade of Lights is taking place on Saturday, November 16th, and the parade starts at 6 p.m. from the marshalling area. So here's the overview of the route. Uh, starts, it starts at Upper Water Street, just south of CFB Halifax Dockyard, and it continues on to Barrington Street via the Coswell Interchange. It continues down Barrington Street, turns right on Spring Garden Road, and continues along Spring Garden until it turns left on South Park, and then the parade turns right uh, from South Park onto University Avenue. The parade then turns right from South Park onto University Avenue past the IWK Children's Hospital, and then ends at the corner of University Avenue and Roby Street. Be aware that rolling street closures start at 4 p.m. along the route, so if you're coming downtown for the parade or another reason, make sure you know that the streets will start closing at 4 p.m., also, no street parking is permitted during the parade street closures. The streets reopen as the parade participants and spectators have safely left the area, so they sort of roll along, opening them up. So we know that parking <laughs> tends to be a concern for people coming downtown, but if you go to our website, downtownhalifax.ca slash parksmart, we have outlined places where you can park in downtown Halifax. And just for the parade, if you're looking for some parking options, uh, Scotia Square has lots of parking. Uh, you can park around Centennial Pool area and Rainy Drive. I think you do have to pay for parking at Centennial Pool, so just um, check that out. Uh, and if you come into downtown Halifax through the South End, you can park in any of the pay and display lots along the waterfront. And the Seaport area has some parking. Yeah, so especially for the parade, come early. Yeah, spend the day, have lunch, and then see Get the dinner parade. beforehand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you don't have to worry about parking because you've already parked. Yeah, you've already parked. And then as the parade ends and the streets open up again, you can leave out uh, downtown safely. Yes, or have dinner and then go. It's win-win for everybody. <laughs> it is. <laughs> so the parking website again is downtownhalifax.ca slash parksmart. And now for some shameless self-promotion. And now it's time to talk about us. 
Yay, us. Always about us. Shameless <laughs> self-promotion. So first up, the Halifax Lights Festival is back again for another year and is running from November 30th to December 7th. So we do have more of our schedule finalized that we can share with you today, but by the time this podcast airs, the schedule should be confirmed, and you can go to our website at downtownhalifax.ca slash Halifax Lights for more info. So the goal of the festival, just in case you're wondering, is we want people to come downtown during the holidays with their families and friends and take part in the events and then stay to shop and visit the attractions, dine in the restaurants, and just enjoy the holiday atmosphere in downtown Halifax. So on the first day on Saturday, November 30th, we start with an afternoon skate at the Scotiabank Centre from 1 to 2.30. There may be some special guests at the skate for the youngsters. Ooh, special guests. Uh, plus, we'll have hot chocolate and cookies. Unfortunately, there is no skate or helmet rentals, so please bring your own skates and helmets. Then we're having a late afternoon event in Cornwallis Park from 4 to 6 p.m. so people can see the lights in Cornwallis Park come on. The Discovery Center will be doing some light science and art, which I'm really excited about. I think that'll be really fun. We have Keith Mullins, who will be doing a holiday-themed, family-friendly music show. And we're hoping to have a few other things that night, so stay tuned for more information on that. Well, that sounds fun. Uh, I'll definitely bring my family to it. Uh, oh, actually, I'll be working it. <laughs> so I'll see all of you there. Uh, so on December 1st, uh, we're having the chili warm-up as part of the Halifax Lights Festival. And it's a chili cook-off. Uh, this year, it will go from 12 until 2 p.m. And for those who are not familiar with that, people can come and sample chili from various businesses and then vote on their favorite uh, chili. So bring your appetite. And, uh, yeah, so sample a lot of chili. Yeah. <laughs> we'll probably have, we're hoping to have about 10. Uh, 10 businesses. Yeah, 10 yeah. businesses participating. Uh, that same day, on the other block of Argyle Street, uh, we are having photos with Santa for families, friends, and pets. Yes, bring your pets to that. Yes. Uh, so that's always a favorite. Um, so, yeah, come early for that. And we also have carolers at 2 p.m. Uh, they will be walking down uh, to the salt yard area from uh, of the waterfront. And there will be fire pits there, and they'll be lit, lit up, and there will be some vendors that will be open as well. Uh, and on Tuesday, December 3rd, we have the Big Sing on Argyle Street uh, with an after party at Dirty Nellie's. So the Big Sing is always really popular. We had about 300 people participating That's last right. year mm-hmm. uh, singing songs on Argyle Street under the light canopy. And, and it, was, it, was, it was cold, but it was kind of snowing. It, it was, was really yeah, nice. Yeah, there was light snow, so it was kind of like the perfect atmosphere mm-hmm. for it. Uh, so everybody was in the holiday mood uh, that night for sure. And then on Wednesday, December 4th, we have um, the holidays around the world in our front space. Uh, So that's at 1546 Barrington Street. So it's the Downtown Halifax Business Commission storefront. And that is where we have foods and treats uh, from various countries and cultures. And people uh, can come and try them out for free. On Wednesday, December 4th, we have uh, the holidays around the world in our front space. And that's at 1546 Barrington Street. That's the Downtown Halifax Business Commission front space. And that is where we have foods and treats from various countries and cultures and people can come and try them out for free. And on Friday night, we're having a silent dance party on Argyle Street, so that is December 6th. For those of you not familiar with the silent dance party, uh, you wear headphones, and you can pick your own channel. There's usually three channels of music, so you can pick your own channel of music. So if you're coming upon it as a spectator, you're seeing all these people dancing on the street with no music. It's pretty fun, actually. It's a really it's, fun night. It's really kind of funny, too. And, yeah. Uh, because you can uh, the headphones have different lights on them, so That's right. you can tell which channel they're on. So some people have, like, dance music. Some people have, like, holiday 
uploading music yeah. or whatever, and you can find uh, other people that have the same channel on as you and, and, dance, and, with them. and dance with yeah. them. And last year we had people of all ages there. There was a couple of little toddlers dancing, and then there was older people, so it was really actually a really fun night. Um, and then on Saturday, December 7th, we are having ice sculptures in Cornwallis Park again. Uh, that starts at noon. Uh, the Discovery Center will be back, and they'll be doing snowy science. And we're going to have a few more things that we're still just finalizing now. So it's a jam-packed week of holiday excitement. And I just also want to stress that all the events are free and open to the public. Plus, we have carolers singing all week as part of the festival. And for the rest of December in downtown Halifax, you'll see them around um, on various corners singing throughout the month. So moving on to the 2019 Downtown Halifax Holiday Gift Guide. That is coming out on November 14th, which is coming up. Um, it will be inserted into the coast that day, but you can also pick it up from participating businesses. And it will be in Scotia Square and the Halifax Ferry Terminal. So this year we have over 50 businesses featured in the guide. There are lots of great gift ideas uh, from gift certificates, uh, unique jewelry, board games. So if you're looking for something uh, for that hard-to-find person, you know, gift person, then yeah, the holiday gift guide is great because you can find everything downtown. Yes, that's right. And it's also a great little booklet to give you lots of ideas for gifts. So we hope that you pick up a copy and take a look. And we'll also be doing some giveaways around the gift guide later this month, so follow us on social media. Our handle is at Downtown Halifax on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and we'll have information about the giveaways on our social platforms. And the guide will also be online, so you can check it out at downtownhalifax.ca slash gift guide. And that's enough about us. You've been listening to Downtown Lowdown with Downtown Halifax Business Commission. Find us on social media at Downtown Halifax. If you like what you heard, please share your thoughts using hashtag downtownlowdown. For more information and links, visit downtownhalifax.ca.